Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. chapter number 17. This is a very powerful chapter and uh, one that holds one of the Bible's most famous stories, and that is the story of David confronting Goliath. And uh, there's something that I want to bring out of this particular chapter that perhaps is a bit unusual or a little different slant on some things, but I think very important to our walk with God and to this Bible study tonight. First Samuel chapter 17, and uh, I want to begin reading around the 17th verse. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren Nephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all of the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. And took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. Verse 37, And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, also he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. I want you to note, there's a couple of times that it is mentioned here, in this particular passage of Scripture that I read to you from, it is said in verse 20, And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheet with the keeper, or with a keeper. And then in verse 22, it says, And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage. And so I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. I want to talk about the keeper of the carriage, the keeper of of the carriage. I want the Lord to help us. I certainly need his help, don't you? And I want to be of help to this church and this congregation. I certainly don't want to uh,
be anything less than that. I heard a story about some firemen that went to a woman's house. Her cat had climbed up in a tree, and uh, she was having trouble uh, calling it down. And, and so she called the fire department, and they were able to rescue her cat from the tree. And so she was so grateful, she invited them in uh, for coffee and uh, cookies. And uh, so sort of reluctantly, but to oblige her, they went in and had coffees and cookie, and then they loaded back in their truck to leave, and as they was backing out the drive, they ran over the cat, killed the cat. Sometimes, sometimes you wonder if you're doing any good. Praise God. Anyway, let's pray for the Lord's help and His anointing here today. Jesus, we need Your anointing. We need the touch of Your Spirit. We need you, God, to bless in this place tonight. You're the only one that can do that. And I know, God, that you have anointing for this service and you want to bless this people. God, this people is the apple of your eye, the seed of your affection. We thank you, God, for the church. And I pray you'd bless the people of the church tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Clap your hands to the Lord again. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. In south central Kansas, near the banks of the Arkansas River, sets the city of Wichita. Many of you have probably visited Wichita at one time or another, or at least know where it is. And it was incorporated in 1870 by the successful businessmen who came to hunt and trade with the native population that lived in the area. Wichita became one of the largest cities of that day, and it was strategically located on the Chisholm Trail, and it became such a popular destination with people driving cattle heading north that it was nicknamed Cowtown. And then in the 20th century, aircraft pioneers such as Clyde Cessna, and Walter Beach, and Bill Lear established manufacturing plants there and projects that would give the city its second nickname, and that is the air capital of the world. The place where the Arkansas and the Little Arkansas Rivers meet has been a major trading center and meeting site for folks for hundreds of years, and so there was a monument that has been erected there it's actually a statue that stands 44 feet, and it is made of steel, and it is simply called the Keeper of the Plains, the Keeper of the Plains. It stands a reminder of those that guard and care for the things that are entrusted to them. And I'm thinking tonight of a keeper of another kind. And I want to speak about it for the next little while. A keeper is one that has the charge, the one that has committed themselves to the care of something. He or she is an attendant, an entrusted partner, one whose purpose is to keep. They are to watch out for. They are to protect. They are to ensure the safety of. And... You, you can be over something, you can actually own something, and yet not really be the keeper of it or the manager of it. 
sort of like a owner of a zoo may bear the burden of administration, but the zookeeper bears the burden of application. It isn't necessary that the owner know how to care for animals or even anything about them, but the zookeeper, he's got to know about the animals that he's dealing with. And so the Bible is full of keepers. We could talk about it for the rest of our time tonight. There are several examples of this. Second Chronicles, we find the keeper of the wardrobe. And then in Jeremiah chapter 35 and verse 4, we see the keeper of the door. Nehemiah 2 and 8, we witness the keeper of the king's forest. In Esther chapter 2 and verse 3, we meet a man that is the king's chamberlain, and he is called the keeper of the women. In Acts 16 and 36, we enter into a dungeon and find the keeper of the prison. So the term keeper and their job and responsibility is not one that is unfamiliar to us in the Scripture. In this particular setting that I read to you from tonight in 2 Samuel, there is the roar of battle that is going forth in the land of Israel. And the Philistines are the enemy. It's a perennial enemy that they've had on and on. And, and it's interesting that you can read of some battles and some armies that they confront. And it seems like only one battle, only one time of meeting and engaging in warfare. And you never hear from that enemy again. But the Philistines are not that way. It seems like over and over again this is a perpetual enemy of Israel. And David's brothers are in the thick of this fight. They have been solicited to be soldiers in this army. And so David being the youngest and still at home is bidden by his father to go and give them provisions and supplies and to check on their welfare. And when David arrives, he's so excited that the scripture indicates that he breaks into a run. He wants to go out and see his older brothers. And who doesn't like to see their older brothers engaging in something heroic? And he wants to go out and see these men engaged in the battle. And as he breaks to run for the battlefield, the Bible explicitly says here that he left his carriage in the hands of the keeper of the carriage. And this causes me to pause and ponder just a little bit of actually what is taking place because this is the second time that this type of thing is mentioned. This kind of action takes place because just a few verses before we find that he left the sheep that he tended to on a daily basis in the hands of the keeper of the sheep. Gave him the responsibility of protecting, taking care of, and nourishing these sheep while he these sheep while he was away. Because it says here that he left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage. We we have to see what the applicable point is in this particular verse. And so I begin to think about exactly what was that carriage. Is it a carriage like we think about that is drawn by horses or perhaps an oxen? But as I begin to look on and study a little bit about this, I didn't find that was the case at all, but rather it was the things that would hold the supplies and it was the things that he would carry along with him. 
It wasn't necessarily something that he would ride in. It was basically his suitcase or his baggage that he would bring with him. And so we understand that life invokes seemingly insurmountable burdens and weights and pressures. And we know that these things are not a respecter of persons. But we know that all of us have to endure burdens in life. All of us have things that we have to deal with, things that confront us, challenges of our daily walk. The Bible says that it rains upon the just and the unjust just because you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and are living for God and have a prayer life and are faithful to God does not inoculate you from life itself and the troubles that life can sometimes bring. But aren't you thankful that the Scripture gives us this great promise that we can cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. Amen. I am so thankful that He cares enough to help me with my burdens. I'm so thankful that He cares enough that I don't have to carry these alone, but I have a place to bring them to. Praise God. I have a place that I know that He can handle them. And I know that He can take care of me. And I know that He can watch over me. That's the beautiful thing about prayer is that you can come into the presence of God. And, and part of our walk with God and praying on a daily basis is unburdening ourselves to the Lord. And I just want to stop and say tonight that God is not intimidated by the heaviness of our burden. The things that make us stagger and the things that cause our knees to get weak and our legs to get wobbly spiritually are not at all something that is heavy to the Lord or too difficult to deal with to our God. But our God is able to bear with us every burden. He said, take my yoke upon you for my burden is light and my yoke the scripture says, is easy. Praise the Lord. There's nothing I can't do without the help of the Lord. There's nothing you can't do without the help of the Lord. There's nothing that you cannot overcome with the help of the Lord. Oh, that ought to encourage somebody tonight. That ought to thrill somebody's soul here this evening to know that you don't have to endure anything in life by yourself. That's not how it was when you was in sin. That's not how it was when you was living in the world. A lot of things you had to face on your own. A lot of things you had to deal with by yourself. A lot of burdens you didn't have any help lifting. You didn't have any help carrying. But when you got into the church of the living God, not only do you have him to help you, but you also have many other brothers and sisters to help you and pray with you and be an encouragement to you. Hallelujah. And through their faith and their example and through their encouragement. Amen. How many has ever been inspired by watching somebody else come through some of the very things that maybe you're, you're dealing with or you're having to tackle at that particular time? And God brought them through and they serve as a signpost to you along your journey that you too can make it, that you too can be victorious, that you too can conquer whatever it is that opposes you in your life. Hallelujah. Praise God. That, that's one of the reasons why I encourage, I encourage you to, to look around 
and to look at others that are further perhaps along in their walk with God and receive strength and inspiration from them. That's also why every one of us that have walked with the Lord, we ought to realize that we're being observed by somebody else. Nobody lives to themselves, the Scripture says, and nobody dies to themselves. Your life influences somebody. That's why you've got to be a good steward of the influence that God has given you. They're watching your faithfulness. They're going to be encouraged and influenced to the positive or to the negative in how you walk with God, how you face the test of life, how you deal with the things that come against you. Your, your children are, are certainly people that are watching and, and grandchildren or, or other young people in the church, but maybe it's a new convert or somebody that's not as far along in their walk with God. If there ever was a time, it should be in this end time that we live in, that we live it as an example before not only God but others of faithfulness and consistency and living in a way that people could pattern their lives after us. Praise the Lord. Your prayer life should inspire somebody else to pray. Your faithfulness to the house of God should inspire somebody else to be faithful. Your, your worship when you get to the house of God should inspire somebody else to worship. Sure, we all have problems, and it doesn't matter how long you live for God, you can still have some dark days. But you know what to do when the darkness overshadows you. You know where to go. You know there's an altar. You know there's a place of prayer. And you know that you can worship your way through anything. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so I think it's very important that we realize that. Paul told the Galatian church, to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul was challenging the church here to come to the rescue of those that were laden and burdened spiritually or just in life itself. Those that were downcast, those that were going through something, those that were lukewarm, those that perhaps were struggling with their faithfulness. Those that had become discouraged or disillusioned or perhaps even fallen into despair. Paul is saying, get under the load with them. Don't, don't ridicule them. Don't look down your nose at them. Don't judge them. Don't talk about them. But pray for them and encourage them and help them. He said in another place, when a person falls, he said, help that one to be restored in their walk with God, considering your own selves. Amen. Considering that you at a time might find yourself under attack. You at a time might find yourself weak. You might find yourself hit by more than just one thing. You know, the majority of us here that have the Holy Ghost, we can handle any one thing that comes against us. We can handle it as long as it comes from one direction. But sometimes it seems like it's a siege and it's coming from all directions. And it's then that you need the prayers of the church. 
it's then that you need you need somebody to have faith for you. Amen. There's many occasions in the scripture where people were not able to get to Jesus on their own, but they required the assistance of somebody else to get there. Said of those men in Mark chapter 2 that Jesus saw those four men's faith that brought the man with the palsy to him. He didn't say that it saw the faith of the man that was actually in need because, quite frankly, a need in and of itself is not enough to get the Lord's attention. If it was, if that's all you needed was a need, a situation, a problem, a challenge to get the Lord's attention, many of you wouldn't be sick and afflicted in your body. Many of you, even as I speak, wouldn't have the needs that you have in your life if the Lord only responded to needs. They'd be taken care of already. But the Lord responds to faith. He responds to prayer. He responds to people going to him and in faith, and it's that faith that activates the power of God. He saw their faith and moved into action and healed this man and gave strength to him that he was able to take up his bed and walk. Praise the Lord. And and so others many times rely upon us. And we, in turn, are going to have to rely on somebody else. Because we're, we're like an army. The Bible, the Bible gives us uh, the characterization as being an army that is going forth to battle. And each person that lives for God, we see the analogy that is given us as soldiers. Tells us to be a good soldier. Tells us to endure like a good soldier. So if we're an army, every army is trained to look out for one another. An army moves as a team. It functions as an entire whole, not just as individuals, if it's going to be successful. The most fearful thing, I suppose, for a platoon of men is for one of those men to be a maverick and only consider himself and only consider his own desires or wants when engaging the enemy, when that dangerous time comes and he is not careful or maybe he's clumsy and he's not taking proper care and walking through the jungle or nowadays more of a desert the battlefield is, and he's not paying attention. He could step on a mine. That mine, that explosive, is not just going to affect him, but it's going to affect everybody around him. So if he's careless, his carelessness is going to affect everybody in proximity to him. Amen. We see this in the church. One person, one individual that is struggling in their walk with God, the effects of that, the rippling effects and the influence of that can many times be felt in their family or can be felt even beyond that to the people that they're connected to. That's why it's very important when these types of things are sensed in the spirit that we be spiritually mature enough to help that one that is in need, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law You want to know a good law to follow? The law of Christ is is that we bear one another's burden. 
if you have a need in prayer, I need to be praying for you. And and likewise, you need to be praying for others that have a need. We cannot afford to have the spirit of Cain that says, am I my brother's keeper? To be self-possessed, self-centered, or so me-oriented that we don't help shoulder the load. But the church must have a support system. Can you say praise the Lord? When Solomon got ready to build the temple, which is known as one of the greatest, greatest achievements in the Word of God, he set aside 70,000 men to be bearers of burdens. They didn't have a specific burden. He didn't say, you guys, you're just going to carry wood, and these guys over here, you're just going to carry stones. He just put the title on them, bearers of burdens. Whatever's needed to be carried, whatever needs to be brought to the job site, whatever needs to be done, you're, you're burden bearers. And the church needs those that are engaged, needs those that are involved and are helping carrying the load. Some may be years of wood as it was in that day, and some may be carriers or drawers of water. But whatever the need is, no task is too small, no job is too minute that we couldn't get involved in it because we're all on the same team. And when my brother or sister in the Lord is victorious in some area, my name is attached to that victory. Oh, come on now. When the team wins, uh, that means everybody on that team is a winner. And when a church is unified together and it experiences a victory, everybody is involved in that victory. Everybody has the right to celebrate that victory. Can you say praise the Lord? Nehemiah's attempt to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the people of Judah shouted. They said this, the strength of the bearers of the burdens is diminished. Therefore, the walls is in ruin. They give the cause and the effect all in one sentence there. They said the strength of the bearers of the burdens is diminished because they grew weak. Therefore, the walls of the city is left in ruins. So we could safely say tonight, you show me a church where nobody cares about anybody else, and I'll show you a church that has no protection around. Show me a church where no one will lift a finger to help another or be burdened or concerned with somebody else, and I'll show you a church that will eventually be in ruins. I don't care how spiritual we think we are or how long that we've lived for God. Sooner or later, we're going to encounter something that we cannot handle on our own or by ourselves. We're going to have to have somebody to help us keep it together. Can you say praise the Lord? At some point in life, there's going to be a load that you cannot bear by yourself. There's going to be burdens and there's baggage of life and heaviness that we cannot afford to have an air of independence. But we've got to have somebody else to help us. A macho man, long ranger attitude is a dangerous thing when you talk about the spiritual things. John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, the main character of that book, was on his way to the celestial city, but he had a lot of help. 
had a lot of help, and he visited a lot of places along the way, and some of them were not pleasant places. But he had a whole lot of help getting to where he was going. Many times in the Apostle Paul's writings, he instructs the churches to bear one another's burdens. To the Romans, he said it this way, the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. To the Thessalonians, he said, we are to support the weak. Yet two verses after telling us in Galatians to bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, he turns right around and he says, every man shall bear his own burden. And that almost seems like a contradiction. Why would he say, bear you one another's burdens, and then go down just a few verses later and say, every man is to bear his own burden? There's no contradiction here. What he is actually stating is, is there's some things that we've got to do for ourselves that nobody else can do for us. But when we've given it everything we've got and we've fulfilled those obligations and we've been faithful, sometimes we still can't make up that little bit of margin that is left and we need somebody to help us. We need somebody to strengthen and encourage us and that's where we bear another's burden and help them along. But we cannot shirk our own responsibility. We all have things that we can do that nobody else can do. Things that we can contribute to the church that nobody else can contribute to the church. Things that we can be a part of and that we can give our talents to. Everybody has dispensed to them a certain amount of talents according to the Word of God. Well, some say, well, I'm like that fellow that only has one. Well, that was not that was not what was emphasized in the story is whether you had one or whether you had five. What was emphasized in the story is that you invested it and you put it where it needed to go so that it could be an increase to the kingdom. Amen? And so it's no excuse when you say, I don't know that I possess any talents that could be used or I can't do this like somebody else and so I'll just excuse myself. Don't shirk your responsibility. Every man shall bear his own burden. I'm going to bring my talent to this and I'm going to place it and invest it in the kingdom of God and I'm going to let God bless it. And when I, when I come again, I may have two talents. And then when I come the next time, I may have four talents. How many knows that God can bless and God can open doors and God can make a way and God can expand things and God can increase things? Oh, praise the Lord. When we invest in the kingdom of God, sometimes we realize that God is able through his anointing and his power to do things through us that we never felt possible before. Man, if you'd ask me if I could stand up before people when I was just a young boy and preach, even though I had a desire to, I don't know that I would have ever dreamed that I could stand up before people and, and preach. And some, some people, that's still debatable whether I can or not. But anyway, that's another story for another time. But anyhow, can I, can I just tell you that there is times that I'm like a, I'm like a horse faunching at the bit over here because there's a burning desire that the Lord has placed in my heart and an anointing that the Lord has placed upon my life. And it's through those things that 
helps us and gives us the ability to do things that we didn't afford think that we could do or was even possible for us to achieve. Come on, if you'll put it in God's hands, God will do a work. You say, well, I, I don't know if I know enough about the Bible to really be an effective witness. Well, we got to take this sword and go to battle. And as we get out here, and we may make some mistakes, but at least we're endeavoring, at least we're trying, at least we're getting involved. Praise the Lord. Inaction will never lead to anything. Sitting on the sidelines will never lead to anything. If you're going to get a miracle, Bartimaeus, you're going to have to get the attention of the Lord. You can't get it just sitting there on the sideline. you got to get out and wave your hands. you got to lift your voice. Whatever you must do to get the attention of God, do it. Praise God. And see if God won't give you a miracle. Amen? Praise God. And so we, we learn and we, we see our lives expanded. Anybody, anybody can sit on the sidelines and discount reasons why or give, give some kind of excuse or maybe, maybe say that there's particular reasons why they've been sidelined in life and in the position that they're in. But let's get involved. Let's get involved in the work of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We, we don't want to be a slacker in the kingdom of God. We want to take this yoke upon us. We want to deny ourselves and take up that cross. Now there's a, a cross in the scripture that we read about that is that is one that is required. We read about the cross of Calvary. Without the cross of Calvary, there's no entrance into the kingdom of God. So this, this is something that is imposed upon us. If we're going to live for God and be a part of his kingdom, we're going to have to visit that cross. But can I tell you, there's one that you take upon yourself, and that is the cross that I'm talking about here. He said, deny yourself and take up your cross. I'm not talking about the cross of Calvary now. He's talking about your individual burden, your individual work in the kingdom of God. Take up your cross and follow me. Amen. And it's only through doing that can we really be fulfilled. It's only through doing that can our lives really be blessed. It's only through doing that can our lives really be what they are intended to be in the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? Praise God. People can say, well, I, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I just don't feel like that I have the ability to do that. I, I, I don't think anybody missed me if I, I didn't worship. Nobody missed me if I didn't pray. Nobody missed me if I didn't come to the house of God. But there's certain things that nobody else can do for you. Nobody else can eat your spiritual food for you. Nobody else can come and hear preaching and teaching from God's Word and you receive any benefit from it. you got to get that for yourself. Every man should bear his own burden. When it comes to worship, nobody can do it in proxy for you. When it comes to prayer, many of us know what it is to be benefited by the prayers of others, but really, nobody can do your own praying for you. That's why the Bible says, seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
Amen. Nobody can do certain things for me in the kingdom of God. As much as they may love me, they cannot substitute for me. They cannot stand in for me. I've got to do those things for myself. Amen. I've got to be faithful in those areas for myself. Nobody else can do it for me. I've got to bear my own burden, take my own responsibility in those areas. God isn't asking God isn't asking you favors. He is only asking you for his for your reasonable service according to the word of God. The Bible said in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 many of us can quote it says, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now he's speaking to people here that knew what a sacrifice was in the Old Testament. They were not too many days hence from the times when there was blood sacrifices given. He said that's not what God's wanting. He's wanting a living sacrifice. He's not wanting you to give something else that doesn't mean anything to you. He's wanting you to give yourself. He's wanting you to give your all. And they knew what a sacrifice was. That meant completely. That meant everything. When they gave a sacrifice, that meant a life was going to be taken. A life was going to be laid down on the altar. And this is what the Apostle Paul is teaching them here. He said this is a living sacrifice. Holy. When you brought a sacrifice in Old Testament times, it had to meet specifications. You couldn't bring the old nag up there and expect that to be accepted by God. You couldn't bring the old speckled sheep that had disease and was mangy and scratching with fleas and and had an old spot on it that distinguished it from the rest, had some kind of disease in its eyes where it was blind and stumbling around. That's what That wasn't what God wanted. He wanted a holy sacrifice. He wanted one that met the specifications. In other words, he didn't want the leftovers. He wanted the best. And that's the way God looks at our lives and our service to him. He doesn't want the leftover. He wants to be the priority. He wants to be the main thing. And because he's God, he can do that. I said he wants to be the main thing. He doesn't want your leftovers. He wants your first fruits. He wants your best. He wants your best talents. He wants your best giftings. He doesn't want you to use all your energy out there in the world. He wants you to use the first of that energy right here in the church. Praise God. Living for him, serving him. So many people give themselves to pursuits in this world that when when we go from time to eternity, it's not going to matter one little bit to them. When they've lived their life at the Lord should tarry to its full end, it's not going to mean one little bit to them because it's so temporal. And they're going to feel like they've wasted so much time, so many years, so much they could have invested. I don't want to get down to the end and have regrets. There's nothing worse than having regrets. Regrets and and wondering what, what could have been if I'd only gave of myself and only done what I should have done or could have done for the kingdom of God. I don't want to be that way. But God, help me, help me, help me, God, to get my focus right, to get tuned in to you. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord.
And in every service, there is the need of burden bearers for a service to be what it needs to be. The preacher can't be the only burden bearer. And a few saints, a handful of people can't be the only burden bearers. Sometimes we that have been around for a while and been around preaching a lot, we can become connoisseurs of preaching. We can kind of, you know, chalk people up from a scale of 1 to 10 how good they're doing. And if we're not careful, we become a little bit discriminatory on how we handle that and how much attention we'll give and how much action they'll be able to call for out of us at the conclusion of their message. Well, you don't understand. I've heard, the, I've heard this man preaching. I've heard that man preaching. I've heard this person, and I've been around preaching. I've heard 40 years of preaching, and uh, I've heard a lot of good preaching, Brother Calhoun. But I'm going to tell you what good preaching does is it inspires you to want to do something. It's not for us just to, uh, to kind of be connoisseurs of and a thumb up or a thumb down, you know, like like the social media, you you can you can push like or 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 not like or whatever, and uh, I like this and I don't like that. Well, that's not the way preaching should be because we're not preaching's not a consumer affair here, amen. Preaching is something we got to receive, and our spirit has to be right to receive it. And when we hear the preaching of the word of God, our faith needs to mix with it. We need to reach out and grab a hold of. Hey, this could be the last service that we have on this earth. I know a lot of you don't believe that, but this could be the last service that we have on this earth. This could be the last time that Landmark Pentecostal Church convenes together. This world, my friend, is coming apart at the seams. All you got to do is look around you. Just before church began tonight, news comes from California where 14 people lay dead because of another shooting. And that many more are injured. You think this world ain't falling apart? All you got to do is look around. But the church is not going down. The church is going up. We got reasons to be encouraged in the midst of all of this crazy stuff that is happening in our world. We're sorrowful for what is happening. But we can rejoice in the one fact that we don't have to stay here. We're going to go home to be with Jesus someday. That's what gives us peace. That's what gives us joy. That's what gives us the thrill that we have. That's why we can worship. Somebody said, why in the world with everything that's going on, how can you folks come to church, be so happy, smile and rejoice and clap your hands and sing songs like you sing and run the aisles and shout and celebrate? I'll tell you why. Because we're not living for this world. If we was living for this world, we'd be happy one day and down the next. It seems like a lot more reasons to be down than up lately in this old world. But I'm so thankful that my name's written in heaven and I can always rejoice and give praise to the Lord. David had the wisdom to know what the burdens, what burdens to bear and what burdens to leave in the hands of another. And I want to leave you with this. If you're going to be victorious in the spiritual battles of life, you're going to have to properly balance the burdens of life. Can I tell you that the physical things of life and how we manage them does affect our spiritual walk? 
Let me run that by you one more time. How you handle things that you don't consider to be all that spiritual, they really do affect your spiritual walk. How you handle your finances, you think that doesn't affect you spiritually at some point? You get yourself so head over heels in debt that you can't even, you got to look up to see bottom. And you're under so much stress and under pressure. You think that ain't going to affect your, your ability to worship God and your ability to be in the house of God? You're going to be looking for second job, third job, fourth job. So, I mean, God, can you extend the hours of the day? Can you do like Joshua and make the sun stand still so I can get in some overtime? And you'll fail to be in the house of the Lord like you need to. Amen? I know I'm not going to get too many amens on this. I was already kind of prepared for that. But I'm going to tell you it's the truth anyway. Praise the Lord. How you manage things. How you deal with things in your physical. And that's just one example. We could go down the list of a whole lot of other things. And you fit it in where it applies to you. But You may say, well, this is not a spiritual thing at all. This doesn't have anything to do with the Bible or God or anything else. That's just what you think. I mean, this right here is my life. This is my part. This is what I'm able to do. You may be able to do it. Some things the Scripture says that is lawful but not expedient. What that means is it's not necessarily a sin, but it's not always in your best interest. Right? Praise the Lord. We don't talk about those things. We want all those thou shouts. We want our list. We got to have our checklist. And yeah, I've went down all the checklist. I got this, that, and the other taken care of. But if you're not careful, you'll fail to put on your list following the Spirit of God, being led. Come on. Some of us need to get close enough to God when something wouldn't be good for us that the Spirit would check us up a little bit and God would say, to us in our spirit without the preacher having to say you can't do that and without having to run it by him or put him on the hot seat we just have enough Holy Ghost to say you know what that probably wouldn't be the best thing for me I can't find scripture and verse I can't find a, I can't find a reason why I can't or I should or shouldn't amen now if you're living your Christian walk so close to the edge that you're skimming the guardrails every time you, uh, every time you have to go through a curve in life. You're living so fast and so furious and so lawless and careless that that every time, every time you have, every time life throws you a curve, it nearly sends you over the edge. Well. What I'm talking about is not, you know, you can live right on the edge of something and not pre- prepare for contingencies. I don't know why I keep relating this to finances, but can I tell you that it's good to have a contingency, not be right up to the edge. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. Have a little cushion there. Not all of us are able to have a huge cushion. I I'm not Dave Ramsey tonight. I'm I'm Pastor Calhoun, but I'm just I'm just saying. Sometimes you can get right up to the edge, and maybe I'm trying to help some young people, maybe even young marrieds here tonight. 
that, 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 that take those things into consideration because it'll help you because you can put some undue pressure on yourself. You know what? You get some financial pressure, and then before you know it, you're going to have you some big-time marital pressure. I don't care how in love you are. Come on, old folks. Amen. That'd be appropriate about right now. Praise God. Don't care how holy you think you are and how much how full of God you are. How much Holy Ghost you got. Sears and Roebuck. Buck who? Some of you saying? When Discover Card comes in, am I getting down to where you're talking about right now? American Express. And American Express, man, I couldn't qualify for a, a card at wherever. My daddy always told me, he said, take care of your credit, son, and your credit may have to take care of you sometime in an emergency. Amen. Amen. And we all, we all understand. I don't know where I got off all of this. This is just practical stuff tonight. But you can get so far up there on the edge, man. You got the pressure on you, and before you know it, I mean, you got that going on. Then you add a a couple of kids to that mix. That's usually what happens when people get married, folks. You're going to have some kids. And uh, and you get those as, as lovable as some things are. They still smell sometimes. And they still get sick sometimes. Come on, I'm helping some of you right now. You're going to put that off another year. And you can't. You can't get an exchange on them kids. Can't take them back and say, hey, repossess it. I'm giving it back. I'll take the head and the credit. I'll do it. Here, just take it back. That don't work. But you talk about put some burdens on them. And so you got to know how to balance these burdens. Is this all right tonight? So before confronting the biggest battle of his life, Goliath, we find that David did three things. He left the sheep with the keeper of the sheep. This represents his daily duties. This was his living. This was his life, his career. He, he didn't bring them onto the spiritual battlefield. You get so wrapped up in a career that you can't even think about nothing else when you come to the house of God. You're, you're in here trying to worship and trying to pray and trying to get focused, and you're thinking about you're thinking about something that you haven't done back there at the job and somebody else that's got this problem and that problem. My friend, some way or another, you need to balance this out. You need to get this in such a shape. When you come to the house of God, you can leave that and you can say, I'm, I'm going to come into the presence of the Lord and I'm going to get from God what I need from God. I'm going to receive the strength that I need. I'm going to get the help that I need. I'm going to be blessed like I need to be blessed. I'm not going to bring those worries in here and let them hinder my worship. I'm not going to bring that in here and let those dreads and those, those discouragements and disappointments that go on over there affect my faith in here. Amen. I can't be victorious against Goliath and be fighting those battles too.
And then he left the carriage with the keeper of the carriage. And as I've said before, this didn't mean a wagon or a cart necessarily, but it indicates baggage. He knew that he couldn't bring he couldn't bring a baggage, the baggage and the burden of life and carry it into this battlefield and be victorious. He can't bring the baggage of the past and maybe even the present into this battlefield and be victorious against this giant. But this is going to require total focus. Amen. This is going to require my best attentiveness. Can I tell you some people in their worship to God, I wish, I wish that I could get through. I wish sometimes that I could really help them because of some mistake back there 10, 12, 15, maybe longer years ago. They're still battling with that baggage and they're trying to bring it on this battlefield and they can't seem to get victory like they need to in their altar and they can't seem to get through spiritually like they need to and it impedes their walk with God and all their progress and so many promises of God go unfulfilled in their life because they're dealing with something back there in the past that if they could go back and, and unfortunately in life we don't have a reset button. Unfortunately in life there's no rewind button. Unfortunately in life you can't go back. You only can go forward. So I'm just going to tell you tonight. Since you can't go back, you need to put it under the blood. Ask God to forgive you. And trust him that he does forgive. Can I tell you that God is a forgiving God? Can I tell you that God's blood is able to cleanse? Can I tell you that God's blood is able to wash you? So don't let the devil beat you up about it no more. When I go to worship God, amen, I'm the only one. Come on. When it comes to me and God, I'm the only one that's thinking about the past. He's not thinking about it. The Bible said he threw it behind his back. The Bible said he threw it in the sea of forgetfulness. I'm the one that dredges it up. I'm the one that brings it back into my current circumstance. I need to forget it just like God's forget it, forgotten it and go on and be what God would want me to be for him in my worship, in my praise to him. Not allow it to be hindered. Can you say praise the Lord? So he left those things. And then he goes and tries Saul's armor. He goes and tries Saul's armor. And I mean, he's staggering under the weight. I mean, the Bible said that Saul was head and shoulders above all men of Israel. He's got this on coat of mail that he gave him, sword that was way too heavy for him. And he finally he decides, he said, I haven't proven this, and I'm not going to try to go into the battlefield with it. He said, I'm going to leave it here. This represents anything that encumbers you. And again, it doesn't have to be a sin. It doesn't have to be black and white. Anything that encumbers me. That's what personal convictions are. Saying, you know what, if that's going to encumber me, if I, because I, I know me, and if I allow this allowance in my life, then it may lead to something else. That may, I, I, you know, some of us think of those old timers, some of the convictions they had as foolish. I remember uh, certain ones saying that they wouldn't use dice. Anybody ever heard of that? A conviction against using dice in a, in a game. Because perhaps back in those days, a lot of people threw dice to gamble with. And man, they were so addicted to all of that that they said, you know, I gave that up. I got that under the blood. I'm not going to go back and use those things that I used to use in the world because I might be drawn back into it. And it reminds me of my past, and it hinders my relationship with God. Now, that may seem foolish to you because you've never used dice to gamble with. But it didn't seem foolish to them. 
And so we've got to make room for people to have their personal convictions in those areas. Praise the Lord. And, and, and just allow them uh, to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But the scripture tells us, the Hebrew writer said, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you. There is a sin that will easily beset you. Every one of us have easily besetting sins. Amen. Propensities that we, that are, that are personal to us that we could get involved in if we're not careful because we're all flesh. But David left all of these different burdens in their proper place. No wonder he could say later in the book of Psalms 121 and 5, the Lord is my keeper. He's the keeper of my burdens. Would you stand with me? He's the keeper of my cares. He's the keeper of my hopes, my dreams, the keeper of my past. He's the keeper of my mistakes. He's the keeper of my shortcomings. David could be a conqueror. David could slay giants. He could slay enemies that come before him because he knew where to place the burdens and the situations and the cares and the different things that might encumber his walk with God. Can I tell you that's very important to you tonight? Why don't we lift up our hands before we leave this evening and say, God, help me. Help me, God, to be able to put things where they need to go. Put, put things in your hands. Not, not carry things that are unnecessary into the battlefield. But God, learn how to cast my cares upon you. Learn how to put my worries and fears and all of that in your hands. God, not let them discourage or diminish my faith or cause me to be weak in my walk with God. In Jesus' name. Why don't you clap your hands to him and give him praise right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, give a shout of praise to the Lord.